Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. And we are continuing our series today that, um, that we started a couple weeks back called The Church Should Be. The Church Should Be. Because we have been within this series asking the question, what is the church ultimately called to be? And what should the church be? Because I don't know about you. You ask that question, like, what do you think the church should be? And have let, people are not afraid to share with you what they think the church should be. And many times, though, what we said is what we think the church should be is laced with a bunch of preferences and experiences, where we have preferences of what we want the church to be, and, but we have also experiences that have shaped and formed us to think a certain way about the church. And normally, we put those two things together, and that kind of births out this idea of what we think the church should be. With, and the thing is, with that, many times it doesn't look exactly the same as what scripture says the church should be. So what we have been really asking ourselves and what I've been challenging you to do is to do two things this month. Read the book of what? Acts. Acts is within the Bible and what it is, it's a, it is a historical early account written by the historian Luke of the early church. And basically, from its inception to its, to, to its, its you know, probably three, four hundred years later, but it, w- it was just a story saying what happened within the church, how did it start, how did it form, what was it like then? And what I've been challenging you to do is to read that because what we've said is the way forward for, for the church is to look back and say what was the church in its very earliest form. And what I also challenge you to do is to memorize Acts 2:42 through 47 which has been our central text within this series which we are going to read together today. Uh, the first week I talked to you about how the church should be devoted. The second week I talked to you about how the church should be what? Anything gets it, huh? United. The third week I talked to you about how the church should be what? Supernatural. See, Dwayne, man. See, Dwayne's over, over here listening. You get a star on your chart, Dwayne. That's impressive, okay? Okay? The church should be super, supernatural. Candid, candidly, I f- forgot what they were, and I was trying to get somebody to tell me what they were. So full disclosure there. I, I was needing help, okay? So that's why I was like, I'm going to put it on y'all. So thankfully, though, Dwayne helped me out. The, the church should be supernatural. Um, and today we're going to read our text first, and then we're going to dive into what the church should be today. Acts 2:42 through 47 says this. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing, it, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 
A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then it says this, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Today I want to talk to you about how the church should be generous. Church should be generous. The church should be the most generous entity in place on the planet. Now let me talk to you a little bit about how you interpret the Bible because I don't know if you know this, but you are, you are, you are, you interpret the Bible. You are an interpreter. Because everyone has to interpret this book, right? You have to take something that was said a couple thousand years back, and you, and you have to interpret it to say, or, or to kind of like say, what does it mean for me right here, right now, in my, in my life in 2022? And this is what people have been doing for years and years and years. And within that process, they have come up with some tools to help us properly interpret this book. And what I want to talk to you starting off today is the principle of prescriptive text and descriptive text. Okay, so here's the thing, right? The Bible is full of both, of prescriptive text and descriptive text. And the thing is this, right? Descriptive text describes events that happened or just basically describe what happened. So, so the thing is, right, in this verse we just read, Acts 2, 42 through 47, it tells us what some of the things the church did. One of the things was they shared everything they had, right? They were, they were like, okay, we've got people that have needs. If I've got three coats, you can have, have one. They basically pulled their stuff together and said, how can we meet the needs of all of the people here? Now, the thing is, in Scripture, there isn't just descriptive text. There, there is also prescriptive text, and prescriptive texts are instructive in nature. These things are kind of like, do these things. They, they, you know, they just don't describe what happened. They kind of tell you, do this, right? And the thing is this, right? We have to know as interpreters of the Bible which texts are descriptive and which texts are prescriptive. Because where trouble happens is, is when we take descriptive text and make them prescriptive. So the church did this, so then everyone do it. Or, or we take prescriptive text and make them descriptive. I say, well, is that what they really meant? Jesus said love, but, you know, what is love? <laughs> right? You know, and, and we try to make it descriptive when it's like love. Like, Jesus loved Judas, who betrayed him. So we, we have to understand descriptive text and prescriptive text that when we are reading the Bible, we have to be interpreters and use proper interpretive tactics to make sure we're getting the intended meaning of the author, okay? 
Now, here's the thing. To summarize descriptive and prescriptive, one other principle is simply this. Scripture interprets Scripture. Meaning, you do not cherry-pick verses to say what you want them to say. Christians are great at this. My God. Because we will take things that we like and like have amnesia towards the stuff we don't. So, like, the, 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 the uh, I know, I'm going to break some people's hearts here today, okay? Just, just to give this a heads up. Like, one of the verses we all love, if you haven't been in church, you, you probably know this verse. You've seen it on bumper stickers. You've seen it on people's eyes when they're playing foot, football. You, you've seen this on greeting cards. You've seen this. I mean, everyone loves this. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you hope. In a future. And we are like, that's my life verse, Lord. Prosper me. You've got hope and you've got plans, right? The crazy thing is, if we don't understand the context of that verse, prospering will be whatever you want it to be. The plans will be whatever plans you have. When we don't just cherry pick verses, Jeremiah 29, 11, where, where if you look at the context of that verse, It's actually like what God said before that was, it's going to be 70 years of hell to Israel because they had disobeyed him flat out. And they were in the, they were in exile in a foreign land under foreign rulers in Babylon. And God was like, before he said, no plans I have for you, plans to prosper you to them. He was like, your life's going to suck for 70 years because you need to learn something. And then he says, but hey, at the end of this 70, don't forget my ultimate plan for you was to prosper you, was to bless you. Was to, and, but, and he's like, I've got plans for you. Just calm down. Right? But if we don't, if, if we don't let Scripture interpret Scripture, because what Jesus calls prospering is very different from what the world calls pros, prospering. That's why he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. He wasn't saying, blessed are those who are full of themselves. Blessed are those who have everything. He's like, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Why? Because they have room for me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. One of the things that Jesus did is redefined what blessed and prospering was. So we have to interpret Jeremiah 29, 11, and let Scripture interpret what blessing and prospering is, and we see what true blessing and prospering is as we open the totality of scripture to say blessing and prosperity is, is ultimately us becoming more and more and more like his son Jesus. Okay, another verse we love to just cherry pick. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. I hate to break it to you. There'll be some things you'll never be able to do. Like play quarterback. For a professional football team. You could quote that verse all day. You could train for the rest of your life. And you just don't have genetics. <laughs> You're not 6'4, 230, run a 4540. That's what these scouts are looking for. Now he could endow you, I guess, with some supernatural power, but there's not many 5'9, 170 pound QBs in the NFL. 
And what I'm saying is the context within that is important. Because when Paul said that, what he was talking about, the context was actually contentment. And what he was saying was, is I, what he says before that, he says, I've been rich, I've been poor. What I've realized through being a baller and through being broke is the fact that whatever kind of life God sends me, I can handle it. I can do all things. Context is important. And that's why it's important as we dive into this, into this text today and we see things like they shared everything they had. Some people have taken that to say, it's communism, let's do it. Because the church did it, right? Let's, let's just pull together every, everything, put all of our, our resources in. No one needs to have their own property. It just kind of needs to all be sold and given to the church. And it's like, well, let's interpret that. That is a descriptive text of what the same church did at that point in history. But let's actually say, let's interpret that in light of all of Scripture. And when actually you see one of the things that Paul said was like, first off, he worked for, for himself to provide for his own needs. But then he also said this one little thing in 1 Thessalonians. He said, if someone doesn't work, they ain't eating. Doesn't sound like very communism to me. He was like, if they're not pulling, pulling their load, they're, they, they, like, they shouldn't even eat. Why? Because he was trying to also say, like, it's, it's like, right? So we have to interpret. Scripture interprets Scripture. And what I see, the principle here in, in this chunk of Scripture, when it says they shared, there was this commonality. They shared. They wanted to make sure that everyone's needs were actually met. Is the principle here that we are pulling out is there was a spirit of generosity in the early church that viewed their stuff differently. That, that it was a complete... It was, it was a complete difference from what the culture was. And y'all, we have to understand this spirit of generosity is in direct opposition to the spirit of our culture. That is like, be scared and hoard. Like, make sure you, like, like it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy because when you get out in, in, into culture and the world, it is consumerism. It is get as much as you can, more, 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 and look out for number one. And the thing is, whenever you get in and you see scripture interpreting scripture, you see descriptive and prescriptive text, you, you see a common theme, not just in this little portion here, but in the Bible is a spirit of generosity that we treat as Christians, those that know Jesus, that know God, we see our stuff differently. And we live open-handed we live generous so why should the church strive to be generous well the big reason that i think we should strive to be generous is the fact that a, a god is god is generous you know all of these things that we are striving to be are directly correlated to who god is not to earn god's love because I think whenever we talk about qualities that we are supposed to have as Christians, I think sometimes we get into this legalistic thinking of, I have to do this or Jesus won't love me. Instead of, I am simply going to respond and have a want to, to become this because this is who the God that loves me and calls me his own is. Right? Here, here's the thing. I'm just going to give you a quick walkthrough of a, a, just kind of a quick 30,000 foot view in scripture of 
this God that is generous. Psalm 36, 5 through, through 8. This is what it's, it's, it says. It says, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of delight. Psalm 84, 11, it says this, For the God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? James 1, 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows what we see the the concept in scripture is simply this we serve a big generous god that can't not be generous because it's just the very fact of who he is even to people who don't give a rip about him he's generous all people christians non-christians people that believe in god people that the that don't feast on the abundance of god's generosity and there, and, and, and there is this, this theological word, words called common grace, where the thing is, if you study theology, this will be a common theme. Why? Because they want you to know that within, that within God himself is this generous spirit that can't not be poured out on all people. See, because I think we have this, well, God's just going to bless those who follow him. The truth is God blesses everybody. There are common graces that God pours out, and that's why when, when we get in this God loves, loves me more thinking, and if I just do more things for him, he'll do more things for me, that can flaw us and actually hurt us. Because then we look at God not as somebody to be worshipped, but as somebody to be manipulated. And I do this, and God does that, and we get in this tit-for-tat game when the truth is God pours out his blessing on everybody because it's who he can't not be generous. It's who he is. It's who he is. But, but the thing is, right, this is what common grace is defined as. Common grace as an expression of the goodness of God is every favor falling short of salvation that the world enjoys at the hand of God, natural events that lead to prosperity and all the gifts that human use and enjoy naturally. There, God is this generous being. You can even see it within God himself. The Father, Son, and Spirit are just consistently pouring out in love, in unity, and devotion to each other. God can't not be generous because it's in his very nature about who he is. And since God is generous, the desire of our hearts need to be striving to be as generous as the God that loves us is. And the crazy thing is, he's generous not just towards people who love him. And that's what we're called to do. Now, when we talk about generosity, I found the church can be funny. Because many of your minds is probably going to money. It isn't just about money, but it is about money. We have to stop compartmentalizing our generosity. Because I've heard people say some crazy stuff. I give my time, but not my money. Nope. Matter of fact, 
I work so much so I don't have to give God money. <laughs> they say things like, I tithe my time. Okay, that's great. But we can have this weird mindset about generosity and we think I'm generous in this area so it keeps me from being generous in this area. When that is not how, I don't know if you, that's not how this thing works. Like, it's not like you're generous with, with your time, but not with your treasure. And by treasure, I mean your possessions and your money. It's not like, well, I'm generous with my talent, but you know what? My time, sorry. Like, we, we have to stop compartmentalizing g- generosity because I think sometimes we'll think that we're giving God something that he actually needs when, I don't know, I just want to remind you, God doesn't need any, any, anything. When God institutes something, it's not because he's needy. It's because guess who needs it? (laughs) We do. Right? So when we're talking about generosity, we have to make sure that we do not develop this compartmentalization in our brain and say, God, I'll be generous here, but this is kind of, I'm just not there yet. Which, you know what? That's okay. Like, like, we understand this process that God takes us through to form us and make him like himself. Typically, the last thing that, that is a byproduct of the spirit of God working within us is us becoming more generous with our stuff. It just is. Because we have something called DNA, human nature, that is inherently selfish. This is something we don't have to teach kids If you have kids, you know it. Mine, me. It is deeply ingrained. And then we have this flesh. And then we have the devil. And then we have the culture that is trying to make us selfish and just consume. And and so what I'm praying is is, is that as we learn about the spirit of generosity today, and as we've been doing in the previous messages, I want to contextualize it to Lifehouse and basically ask, ask this question. How do we create a spirit of generosity at LifeHouse to where it could be said at LifeHouse what was said about the very early church. These people's needs were met. Because how amazing would it be for people to say about LifeHouse, man, if you go to that church, bro, they going to love you. Like, they are freaking generous. They just over, like, waves of generosity. If you go there, you're going to be straight. Like, you're going to make sure your needs are met. How amazing would that be? Instead of the church just wants to take from me, and the church is just trying to get from me, and church, church, church. But there is this spirit of generosity that is oozing out of us, individually in your life, and corporately out of us as a church. How amazing would that be? How do we cultivate that? I want to give you a couple thoughts and contextualize generosity, this principle of generosity to LifeHouse. The first one is this, and I beat this like a dead horse. Understand it's, and when I say it's, I'm talking about your time, your talent, and treasure, all that you have, all, the, all that you are. Understand it's not yours. It's not yours. According to the United States government, it might be yours. Or whatever legal documents you have, it's yours, but that is not the standard we live by. 
when you understand that what you have, the talents you have, the possessions you have, the time you have, all you have as a follower of Jesus, ownership gets transferred. And you go from being someone that is now owning to someone that is now stewarding. And, in, and a steward is a lot different from an owner. A steward is somebody that manages what has been entrusted to them for the benefit of the one that entrusted it to them. That's a full sentence. I'm going to say that one more time. A steward manages what has been entrusted to them for the benefit of the one that entrusted it to them. So even Jesus, he spoke on this principle of stewardship to where when you start to follow him, ownership gets transferred. Now, everything in your life is literally, is literally God's, and he has entrusted it to you, and now you are responsible for taking what has been entrusted to you and investing it in what matters to the one that gave it to you. So what does that also mean? Your priorities change. The priorities of the culture are different from the priorities of the kingdom. They're in direct, co- they're, they're in direct opposition with each other. And here is why I think it's hard. If we don't see ourselves as steward, why it's going to be difficult to be, to be generous. Number one, number one, you, you think you're doing God a favor by being generous. Well, you know what? God needs what I have. So I'm going to give him a little 10. I'm, I'm going give to give him a little 10 spot here. I'm going to give him a little bit, a little bit. And you'll think you're actually doing God a favor by being generous. When the truth is, like I said, God doesn't need anything you have. He is not needy. But if we don't see ourselves as stewards, we will think that when we give, we think we're actually important. I hate to burst your bubble. But God did not institute this idea of being, of being generous because he needs something from you. He, he puts things into place because we need it. Secondly, though, you can't be generous if you don't see yourself as, as a steward. Why? Survival instincts will take over. And you'll just, you'll see what you have as yours and it'll keep you afloat. And so this, this idea of being a steward, I believe, is the first foundational step to you letting go of all, getting those hands. Because honestly, this is what we do. This is how we start off following Jesus. And all of this is it. It matters, right? It happens. Sorry, I'm going to stop, right? But this is how we start off, and the thing is this. This is not how God is. God is open-handed. He's generous. He's kind. And the thing is, as, as the process of learning about who God is, how God is, how we're called to be, it actually we start to open our hands and start to actually live instead of close-handed where we're scared, we're fearful, God isn't gyra, I don't know if God's going to provide, I got to look out, I got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. And then it's like as we start to see who God is, 
Like it, it, it starts to actually open our hands up as we understand even what he puts in our hand is not ours. It's his. So if we take something that is not ours, close-handed, and say, hey, God, I know you gave this to me, but sorry. No, it's, it's like you keep your hand open because God might give it to you, but then he might want to give it through you. That's why blessing is never about you. You know, the first person that God blessed in the Bible, Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you so I can be a blessing through you. Some people, God has blessed you immensely. Like you are financially, I mean, you, you are so blessed. And what I would say, and even what scripture would say, yeah, you're blessed according to the culture, but actually scripture says to whom much is given, much is what? Much is required. You should actually be trembling. Because ultimately what you have is more responsibility and more stuff to manage. You've got more work to do. But the first step is to switch the mindset from being, this is what I own, and to be like, this is something that God has given me. How do we cultivate a spirit of generosity? First off, we switch to being a steward. Secondly, though, we understand it takes practice. It's funny, man. We God, make me a generous person. Make me a generous person. And it's like we're sitting there waiting for generosity to fall out the sky like it's rain. Right? This is the way we handle virtues. This is the way we handle trying to actually change. We think, okay, it's just going to fall out the sky. Overnight, my whole heart's going to be changed, and I'm going to change all of all of these disciplines and mindsets that I've accumulated and, and just built up over the span of how... Uh, of whatever many years, it's just all of a sudden gonna, going to just change. And it might do that, but also, too, you've got to understand generosity is something that you will work towards as you practice it. Here's the thing. Being generous and giving is a formational act that creates a discipline. I think we really miss Paul's words in 1 Timothy 4, 7 when he was talking to his pastoral protege. He said, train yourself to be godly. He didn't say, pray it falls out the sky. He said, there's a training nature to this godliness thing. That's why at Lifehouse, you'll hear us say it all the time. We don't try to be like Jesus. We do what? We're training to be like Jesus. Meaning, Meaning this, there is no formation without repetition, right? And so if you desire to be like God, who is a generous God, gener generosity will not be formed and shaped in your life if you don't practice it. If you don't make it something of kind of like a training, like a training regimen. Because trying to become a generous person in this selfish culture will have to take training. And the thing is, with that training, I think we have this kind of, of like when I, then I'll syndrome. So we say, when I get more, then I'll be generous. When I get more, then I'll give. When I have more, then I, when I, then I'll, when I, then I'll. And what I think we actually miss in that statement is the fact of 
you will probably never think you have enough. So you're waiting on this particular portion or season of life to be generous. And then you're saying, well, then I'll be generous. When actually, in reality, that will probably never happen because the world is consistently telling you, you need more. Gas is 450. I went to the grocery store to pick up a couple things, $80. I'm like, Jesus. But then that will scare you out of generosity. When let me tell you, if you've developed this discipline of generosity, bruh, bring, bring on 450 gas. Bring on the expensive groceries. I'll just be honest with you. I've seen God use the IRS to provide for us. Come on. Yeah. I, I'm not perfect. I have moments of being scared, whatever. But at the same time, man, I've seen God be good. The amount of money we've given away, it's just like, man, like, I, I almost try God sometimes. I'm like, I'm just going to send, send this person money and let's just see what happens. Be, 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 because here's the thing. Giving is not about what you get back. Generosity is not about, about what you get back. Can you go up? It is, it is really 10, 18. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> see... <laughs> Okay, see, this is, this is why first service is hard, because we got a second service. The second service, we can go long. The first service is hard. Okay, anyway, here we go. All right, G generosity and giving isn't about what you get from God or what it does for the other person. Here's the thing. The greatest gift you receive is, what it, is that it makes you more like God. We've got to stop seeing, we've got to stop seeing gener generosity as I do and God will give me something back. But generosity, but the greatest thing we get is the formational act of it helping us to become more like Jesus. Here's the thing. You should be more fearful of not being generous than being generous. Because the longer you prolong being generous, the longer you delay your growth in Christ. The, the longer you delay having the character and formation of God and his generous spirit formed with, within you. We should be more fearful of not being generous than we are of what is going on out in our culture. Why? Because it takes practice. Lastly, though, to cultivate a spirit of generosity within Lifehouse, here's the thing. We have to make generosity, here's, here's the thing, systematic and organic. We use these two words at Lifehouse a whole lot, typically within the context of relationships, because at Lifehouse, right, we want you to be in systematic relationship, meaning you have a structure or system where you come and are with people weekly. So that's why this gathering is so important. That's like, why? Because this is what the church does. We come and we gather. Why? So we can see each other. We can see, we can see faces. We can check in about life's ups and downs. We can come together and worship the same God, sing the same songs, hear the same sermon, and we are together. And that is great to have a systematic connection weekly with the people of God. But at the same time, systematic needs the, the organic as well. And the organic simply means this, like that you'll like go and have lunches with people. 
that kind of just like through your coming on on Sundays, oh, what's up, man? You're a, you are a Cleveland Browns fan. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan too. We should go and be sorry together because our team is terrible. So let's go out and grab lunch together. And you just say, hey, man, like you made an organic connection at church because y'all are two sorry Cleveland Browns fans. And you, you know, you, you know, when you build that, you build that relationship. Yo, it's just like, oh, snap, man, you're from California. I'm from California. What part of California? For real? Man, oh, how many kids you got? I got this many kids. Hey, we should go out and grab some Uno's pizza. You know, it's, it's just like there, there, there is this organic nature of relationships happening at church, right? So you need the systematic in the, in the organic. Let's just be honest. Even when you get when you get married, there are, you know, you, you kind of have a systematic way of going throughout your week, but then you need some kind of organic, some kind of, let's go with the flow, right? Like, sometimes you need to systematize things to make it happen, but then sometimes you got a little organic thrown in there. Do you, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, systematic and the organic, they, they are not opposed. You need the two things working together. Right, because here's the thing, right? Whenever we're talking about, gener- uh, uh, about generosity, I, I believe to cultivate a spirit of it, your generosity needs to be systematized. Meaning, you choose a percentage, like, like you choose something that is a, this is like, we are going to be intentionally generous with whether it's your time, your talent, whatever, like of, of, of saying, we are not going below this. Basically, it's something to keep you in line to say we are prioritizing generosity. Because here's the thing. Generosity, like, generosity has to be planned. Because here's the thing. You can say all day, I want to be more generous and I want to give more. But if you don't even have a hold on your budget, what's coming in and what's going out, at the very end of the month, you'll always be like, where'd the money go? Because you don't have a a, a tight rein on your budget. So that is why, like, like... I believe to cultivate the spirit of generosity, there, 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 there needs to be a system in place that, that gives you a bedrock of saying, we're not going below this with our generosity. And that could be serving, that could be time, that could be talent, that could be treasure, whatever. It's basically saying, I'm going to use this in a systematic way. But then you need the organic. Basically, and, and kind of the, the two ways that I framed this were, the systematic is you choose, you choose a percentage, you have a bottom line, but then you have the organic. You, like This is where you're open to the Spirit's leading. Because if you just say, nope, God, I, I just give this, and you've got somebody in front of you that needs food, well, I, you know, I, I, I already give, give this. When it's like, no, like you need the systematic and the organic. Because here's the thing. Let's kind of go to these equations here. Systematic plus the organic does this. It forms your heart, and it also opens you up to the spirit leading. So here's the thing. The systematic is something you do that is kind of like a discipline that forms your heart. It's something you do. It's, it's just kind of like your baseline, basically saying exercise, right? Like, I'm going to exercise this many times, and I'm not going below this. This is going to be my discipline that's going to help me stay healthy. Generosity is the same way. It's like 
it's like dealing with this systematic thing is what's going to keep the baseline there so I can make sure my heart is consistently being formed. But the organic is saying, be careful because the Lord might speak to you to give organically to somebody or something or call you to open your home to somebody or call you to use your time and talent to do something for somebody. It's basically saying, Lord, I'm open to you. I've got this base, base, this baseline here. My heart's being formed. But God, it's all yours anyway, so use whatever you want. And be careful when you pray that because he will speak to you. But here's the thing. Whenever we take out the organic from the systematic, it just becomes legalism. You're like, God, well, I give this much. I give you 10%. You better bless me. And it's like you don't divert. It's like you've got this transactional relationship with God instead of Lord I'm just not in this transactional relationship. You put the spirit of God inside of me that you could tell me at any moment, any time to give something to somebody, and my heart's open. But here's the thing. When you have the organic, and you take out the systematic, and you're like, I'll give when I feel led. What other area of your life do you form a discipline by doing something when you feel led? And this is the way many, this is the way many people treat generosity. I'll do it when I feel led. Let me tell you, if you treated love that way, how many of y'all would form a habit of loving the unlovable? I'm just going to love you when I feel led. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because I would not love you a lot. I'm sorry, I'm not talking about you. I, I, I had somebody in my mind that I was saying that to who is not my wife. Of course not. I always love but do you understand how when we say, if I feel led, I'll do this, does not form in you the discipline of something. But many times we treat generosity this way. We just say, when I feel led. And that could, that could possibly be a starting point, but I don't think you're going to form the character and have the repetitions inside of, of you without the systematic and the organic working together. Do you guys feel this and hear this? Yeah. Lastly, stand up with me. Keyboard player, please come up. We need to close. Here's, here's the thing. As we do it, as we do generosity, here's the power of generosity. We share and show the world what our God is like. What does generosity, what, what does this spirit of treating our stuff differently, of, not, of, of viewing ourselves as stewards, of viewing ourselves, of saying, it's not ours. God, if you want to give it to me, you can give it through me. Of having open hands, the power, the ultimate power of that is that it actually reflects and shows the world, this is the God, the God that I serve, this is what he's like. Because ultimately, your home, your bank account, everything you have is meant to bring more heaven to earth. And what my challenge is today is that would you be a part of LifeHouse is your church home? Would you be a part of making LifeHouse one of, one of the most generous places in the 757? Where it would be said about our, our church, man, them people, they take care of their people. And it's not like we're going to do it recklessly. That is, that, that is why even within our church, we have a benevolence process. If somebody needs help, we will offer to give them help. We want to, but at the same, same time, we don't want to put a Band-Aid over a big gaping wound. 
Because somebody might need their bill paid, but even beyond having their bill paid, they might need financial literacy. So we're not saying let's just be reckless, whatever, but what I am saying is if, if we come together and we corporate, let's say, and, 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 we, and, and we individually say, I want to strive to be generous because God is generous, the overflow of that is we will become an insanely generous community that's, that says we are here to be the hands and feet of Jesus to each other and that it would be said about our church, no one had needs, as it was said about the very early church. So we can be a place where the presence of God is working, share and show the world this is who our God is and what he's like. Even to those that don't even serve him. That there would just be a spirit of generosity welling up within us. That we would be systematic and, and, and organic. Like some of y'all, you need to start systematizing your generosity. You kind of go whenever you feel led and it's not forming you to be a generous person. Some of you, you systematize it, but you're not open to the spirit's leading. And maybe for some of you today, you need to start saying, God, I just don't want to give you a designated stuff. God, I want to be open to your spirit. Maybe open my eyes to see the needs around me so I can be your blessing to them. Would you right now lift up hands? We're going to close out service. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. And Father, we thank you for your generosity towards us, ultimately shown in Jesus, who was your generosity who was a sign of your generosity and love in the midst of our rebellion. So God, we thank you that generosity is who you are and we're on the receiving end of it in so many ways at so many times. And God, we just wanna acknowledge it today and just say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your generosity. And I pray that we would be inspired today to take this spirit of generosity and Lord, would you form it within us individually? Would it overflow into what, the way we interact communally? And would we be your representation to the world of the generosity? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.